This is the Used Car Dealer Podcast with your hosts, Zach Klempf and Steve McClory. Well, hello, this is Zach Klempf, and you're listening to episode number seven of the Used Car Dealer Podcast. And we have a very special guest today, and that's Steve Greenfield. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Steve, he's the CEO and founder of Automotive Ventures. He's been in the auto software industry over the last 20 years, and he's overseen over a billion dollars in automotive technology acquisitions. And he's held roles at TrueCar, AutoTrader, and his LinkedIn posts get a lot of views in the automotive industry. How are you doing, Steve? Back. I'm great. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, for our listeners, tell them a little bit about yourself and how you got into the business. Yeah, well, great. I'd, I'd love to. Um, you know, like a lot of people, I think I kind of stumbled into it. You know, I grew up in Toronto, up in Canada, and uh, never imagined that I'd be in the auto industry and never imagined that I'd be down in the U.S. So uh, back in 99, you know, I, I had a buddy who uh, started working for uh, an auto auction. And uh, at that point, I didn't even know what auto auctions were. You know, I, I, I presumed that when I drove by dealers' lots, all the cars came from trade-ins. And, uh, you know, I quickly learned about the, the auction business. But I was hired to be a an, um, technology manager, they called it at the time. And, you know, if you roll back the clock to 99, it was the very early days of the Internet. Um, the the the, uh, the auction was Toronto Auto Auction, which is now Mannheim, Toronto, uh, which was and is the largest uh, auction up in Canada. And I had a chance to be this technology manager selling um, software to car dealers. And uh, in '99, as you can imagine, you know we were trying to get um, dealers to buy access to Mannheim.com, which was 50 bucks a month. And uh, most of the dealers that I would meet with not only didn't have the internet, they didn't even have a computer. So at the time, we, we were buying them 486 PCs. Um, you, you're too young, probably, Zach, to even know what those were. But we were buying them PCs, getting them hooked up online so they could literally buy cars online um, through like an eBay-like platform. So that was my start. I, I, I luckily enough did pretty well with sales up there. They asked me to move down to the corporate office of Mannheim, uh, which was uh, down in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where I am now. And I've been down in Atlanta now for about 20 years. Wow. And what were some of your learnings as both an entrepreneur and an executive in automotive software about inventory management? And that's a really timely topic, you know, especially right now in the COVID climate. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I I came from about 10 years on the wholesale side. So I understand pretty intimately how dealers were thinking about stocking inventory from uh, the wholesale channel, um, be it online sales that I was responsible for for a while there, as well as spent a lot of time with our physical auctions. Then, you know, in 2010, I actually had a chance to go over um, to a sister company, autotrader.com, which at the time was um, just starting down the path of acquisitions. And I had a chance to report to the CEO and oversee those acquisitions. So within about 14 months, we bought a bunch of companies, including uh, Viato, and uh, everybody probably is aware of Viato. But you know, Dale Pollock, uh, the very visionary founder of Dale P- of uh, Viato, really um, started sort of like the concept 
and was the, the father of the, the concept around, you know, bringing science and data to uh, inventory management and pricing. So I had a lot of time to spend during the acquisition and subsequently working very closely with Dale and his, his folks, uh, the technology folks there that built out the product to focus on inventory management. And uh, it's been interesting to see that, that, that product after, you know, we bought an auto trader and subsequently got tucked into Cox Automotive, how dominant it's become and how now mm-hmm. it's very hard to find dealers that aren't using the same sort of science around, you know, market day supply, supply demand to indicate which cars to, to stock, but also kind of working backwards from what the retail selling prices are to figure out what they can price cars for to make sure they, they still have enough margin in the deal. Right. And I saw an interesting post you had today about weekly wholesale auction volumes. I'd love to, you know, get some con- some more context into that for our listeners. And it's especially timely right now. Yeah, I mean, well, what, what Zach's referencing is I just took a snippet out of a J.D. Power um, COVID-19 weekly report that's coming out that um, I'm sure you can find online if you Google it. But I, I was actually shocked. I mean, shocked so much that I shared it. But um, you, you look at the, the auction volumes have dropped off the cliff. And it's not really surprising. I think Odessa, um, you know, car has basically shuttered the, um, the, the physical locations entirely. I think Mannheim had um, uh, sort of uh, seen this coming and, and shifted quickly to online sales only. But at least they were able to keep, you know, a skeleton crew of people at the physical auctions, keeping the cars selling and be able to at least get the online listings up for dealers to stock. But um, I would say Zach, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, everything, everything starts with the consumer, right? So now we've got all the consumers in America who are sheltered up in their homes, whether, you know, mm-hmm. they're unemployed or not. What we've got is, you know, in, in, interestingly enough, online shopping activity is actually up at these portals, right? You look at companies like Disney Plus and Netflix, Apple and Amazon and YouTube very publicly have said that they've started throttling traffic because the streaming quality of those services now has been brought down. We're not getting, you know, <laughs> HD quality on streaming right now because, you know, every consumer in America is sitting around all day and they're online. Uh, it's a, it's, and it's a burden to the system. Meanwhile, you know, AutoTrader recently uh, announced that, you know, actual vehicle detail pages, VDPs, on their vehicles on autotrader.com were actually up 7% the last weekend in March um, and up 11% on Kelly Blue Book uh, visits. Interesting. Um, so it's kind of interesting that you've got more consumers online, but clearly, you know, the flip side of that is now, you know, if you look at you know, the news as of this morning, uh, you know, another 6.6 million people filed for unemployment last week. So now, you know, as a, as a result of COVID, we're up to, you know, 16.8 million lost jobs just in the last three weeks. Right. So that, that just put that in context. That's more job losses than the Great Recession in 2008 cost caused over two years. Right. So we've wow. gotten more unemployed in three weeks than we did over two years in the, the largest financial recession in, in, in the U.S.'s history. Right. So some economists are speculating that U.S. employment rate may go up to 15 percent. I saw, you know, some 17 percent. And, and, and likely this is going to go higher over the next couple of weeks as things start to settle in and we get clearer line of sight on what the impact's going to be, right? So circling back to your question, right? When consumers are forced to be at home and there's a growing number of them being unemployed, clearly um, there's less retail demand for vehicles, even though there's more shoppers online, less people buying cars. 
uh, less mileage be putting being put on cars, and what, what, that, that's trickling down to the wholesale auctions. So, as you mentioned, you know the, the JD Power data was that you know fewer than fifteen thousand units were sold last week, which was a thirty-seven percent decrease just over the previous week. Um, and you know, in terms of pricing, pricing also is is weak, not not as weak as volumes decreasing. But you got to imagine, you know, there's less demand from consumers, therefore less demand from dealers in the lanes. And, you know, J.D. Power is expecting a 7% decrease in prices before the recovery begins. But I I suspect that it's going to be worse than that. I got to imagine as demand dries up from consumers and dealers Mm -hmm. aren't, uh, you know, bidding bidding in the auction lanes, we're going to see much more of a dramatic fall off in prices. So if you can price the market right, or if you can time the market right, I'm sure there's going to be stories where people got a feel on certain vehicles as demand inevitably comes back. But at some point here, you know, it's the, the, the timing, the devil is going to be in the details and it's going to be a little bit more art than science trying to call the bottom of this thing. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious, Steve, what are your thoughts about some of the evolutions in wholesale? You have products like Backlot or sorry, backlot cars, ACV auctions. Just curious, you know, what your thoughts are on some of these uh, new vendors coming into the wholesale auction space. Well, it's, it's super exciting for me, having you know now been in the industry for twenty years, and the first ten of those at Man- at Mannheim. And like I said, I mean, I, I was right in the midst of like the beginning of selling cars online at auctions, right? So we were photographing vehicles back in '99 and uploading them. And it was super clunky, as you can imagine at that point, but we still had dealers buying cars back then. Most of those were like, you know, the, the off-lease cars and the executive cars um, that were very, very high quality. But um, now that you've got all these platforms, like the ones you've mentioned, Backlot, ACV, others that are out there, I mean, I'm, I'm super excited. And, and they, they're obviously, you know, it's been public. They've, they've been raising a lot of money recently. There's a lot of VC money chasing this and understanding that you mm-hmm. know, the big incumbents, Mannheim and Odessa, are in a position where they've had very um, defensible, large businesses for a long time, but clearly these these smaller uh, companies are attacking them um, and and figuring out clever ways to do it. Um, and uh, I, I, I think I, I'm a big fan. I think that it's interesting, and there's a lot of opportunity for them um, to help dealers, you know, get vehicles online, consignment cars, and eventually, um, it's clear that to, to me that they'll also then start getting into offering fleet cars and getting upstream, quote-unquote, from the auction, uh, offering off-lease cars, et cetera. Um, uh, the, the, the Mannheims and the Adeptas of the world can't be happy with the way this is playing out. Uh, but inevitably, like any big industry where you've got a couple of big dominant players, we're seeing a lot of potential disruption happening from some of these pure technology players. Interesting. And um, one concept that's really top of mind to a lot of dealers right now is digital retail, especially in the COVID-19 climate. And you have a lot of experience with digital retail. And I wanted to get your thoughts, and especially on the conversation we had on the fact that a lot of these digital retail tools, there's over 30 of them in the space. Uh, Some of them have raised a lot of venture capital. Some of the traditional dealer website companies are building their own digital retail tools. I guess for the dealers listening, you know, give them, in your opinion, what exactly digital retail is and why it could be useful for them. And then from the market standpoint, talk about kind of the saturation of players in the space. Yeah, great question and area of passion of mine. 
as you know, Zach. So um, I guess I'd start with there's no shortage of digital, quote unquote, digital retailing players out there. Right? I, I always like to go to, you know, this is my 20th year now that I've had a chance to go to NADA. And for the last five or six years, I guess it's six years now, I've counted the number of players that are offering digital retailing solutions. And at last count this year, I think I was up over 30. And, and the reason is a couple of different reasons, I guess, right? Is one, one is, as you just mentioned, um, pretty much every dealer website company now, and there are many, um, are, are offering their own sort of white labeled version, right? So now that if, if I, if I have a dealer website, which every dealer does, typically that dealer website provider can provide you, um, a version that's totally integrated and part of the regular flow. So you no longer have to go out and buy, a, you know, from a third party, a non-dealer website provider and have it, um, you know, inserted into, uh, your, your website as a, as a standalone widget. Um, there are sometimes benefits to that, but I mean, so there's competition now from the website providers. Also, I would say that the promise six years ago was, you know, consumers were literally going to, you know, configure a car deal from home and click the home delivery button. And, and, you know, back then it was like, you know, pre-Carvana, it was very Carvana-esque, right? Or it was early days of Carvana, but, um, you know, Carvana really riffed off of that. And um, the, the vision was that any dealer was going to be able to offer this kind of complete, completed car deal, um, uh, home delivery, the entire like e-commerce, Amazonation of, of, of the car deal. And it hasn't really played out that way. I think that most mm-hmm. of these quote-unquote digital retailing players are, are basically excel at selling an enhanced lead. So dealers understand that they get only so, so, so much traffic to their website every month. And usually a lot of that is you know, they have to pay for Google or other, other third parties. They get the traffic to their website and, you know, dealers sort of like very cleverly say, what can I, how, how can I convert that traffic to more foot traffic, more leads, more phone calls, more emails, more opportunities for them to sell a car. And um, I think that, you know, in most cases, dealers are seeing these digital retailing players as simply con- conversion mechanisms. So I, I can, I can order this or buy this, this digital retailing tool. It will help me take my, tra- my website traffic and convert more of them to phone, phone, email leads, chat leads, or hopefully, you know, foot traffic that I can then sell a car to. Um, and uh, so, so given that, I mean, we've strayed a bit away from the original vision, which was this kind of like, you know, A to Z entire car deal online mm-hmm. driveway delivery to more of just an enhanced lead now, right? So I think to your point, there are a lot of them now. I expect, you know, especially with the, 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 the strain on the economy, the strain on dealers and them cutting back on some of their vendors, you know, some, some of the, the, the more recent startups and the ones that are on the cusp, the less funded folks, the folks that have less, um, you know, um, money in the bank to weather the short-term disruption, uh, we may see a, a clearing out and some of the weak players may go away entirely here, uh, which, is, which I don't think is a bad thing. I mean, it's always sad to say that if companies go away, but right now I think it's almost overwhelming for a dealer to sort through all the different digital retailing tools and make sense of them and which ones are better. Right. Completely agree with you. And from the dealer standpoint, I guess what considerations should they have before implementing a digital retail tool and maybe demystify some of the ideas that a dealer might expect or, you know, ways of transaction a dealers might expect from a digital retail tool versus reality? Yeah. So, so the main thing is just, just be honest with yourself, what you want to get out of it, right? So if you want to get more consumers that are coming in 
who have um, self-identified their creditworthiness, you know, like self-report their FICO score, um, and um, have indicated what, what uh, trade-in they have and how much they want for their trade. So when they do first, you know, call you or walk in, you have a lot more uh, intelligence in your CRM. Um, that, that makes perfect sense. And uh, a, a number of the different uh, digital retailing tools can do that. If you aspire more aggressively to really offering, you know, a presentation of, of F&I products, uh, which scares a lot of dealers because they're worried about retaining profitability mm-hmm. when they provide too much transparency with F&I products. But if you did and you wanted to present F&I products and literally offer like, you know, driveway delivery, um, so you'd have a driver drive the car to the person, um, that then and there are some dealers that want that, then you probably would look at a different subset set of, of digital retailing tools that are out there. So I think that starting with what you want to achieve helps you sort through, you know, how sophisticated the solution you need. And then I'm always a big fan of dealers talking to other dealers, right? So whether you've got people in your network, I would say that typically, and Zach, you know this very well, the testimonial videos that you might see on, um, you know, a vendor's website usually are, you know, uh, folks that they know really well have a long-standing relationship with. You might want to ask for 10 examples, right? Ask the vendor for 10 different dealers and don't be shy about reaching out to them. You know, call, call dealers that, you want a mixture of dealers that have been on the product for a long time and dealers that have recently signed up. And your questions would be different, right? I think your questions to a vendor or a dealer that's been on a vendor for a long time might be, you know, what value did you see before and after? And what value are you realizing now? And why do you stay on the product? Whereas, you know, if you talk to a dealer that's recently made a decision, ask them things like, who were you on before? What's your objectives with this? And how did you make your decision to go with this particular vendor? So I think that um, there's some, some, some combination of being really honest with what you want to accomplish and then making sure you do the reference checks to find other dealers who are objective and can share with you the honest truth about how these products are performing for them. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think two other considerations for dealers, you know, if you're going to get a reference, make sure it's a comparable dealer to yourself. Like if you're an independent uh, Jeep Dodge Chrysler dealer as a reference might not be as helpful. Or if you're a Highline dealer, you know, you might want to talk to a similar dealership um, that runs, you know, at a similar way to yourself. And then think about the marketing communication to your customers, they go on your website and then you suddenly have a digital retail tool. How have you educated that potential customer on how to use that tool, how you work with, for instance, remote deliveries or remote paperwork and you know, really make sure that you communicate that well because there could definitely be some confusion there. Agreed. I couldn't agree more with your points. So... Steve, as you look at the future and as we go through the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, what are some of your predictions on potential changes to the dealership model post-COVID? Yeah, so, I, I, you know, we're in for a rough time here. I'm stating the obvious, right? But I mean, I, I, I see all these forecasts from various folks. Um, you know, I saw, you know, last week, um, True Cars ALG business um, forecasted that we're going to have a 29% year-over-year decrease in, um, in used car sales. You know, I think that, you know, J.D. Power comes up with, with their own numbers that might be even lower than that. Um, Cox Automotive said that we're going to be, you know, down to 38 million or worst case scenario, 36 million. I mean, right now, nobody knows, right? Because one, nobody knows when consumers are going to get back to being in the mood to buying. 
We don't know how bad unemployment's going to get. And frankly, no one knows when we're going to get a vaccine for the virus. And, you know, if, if the, you know, the, 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 um, the return to business as usual is going to be six months, nine months, 18 months, right? So we can only speculate at this point. So it's really hard. I mean, any, anyone who's, who's talking about future numbers right now really is speculating. So um, the numbers mm-hmm. are all over the board. But I, I would say, you know, I'm convinced, you know, I, you know, I, I wrote an article recently and I, I'm convinced that whether you go back to 2008 and the financial downturn, right? Whether you go back to, you know, the, the, the terrorist attack in 9-11, um, consumers crave getting back to normal, right? I mean, especially now that everybody's stuck at home um, wrestling with all the challenges that has. I think people are going to love getting back to as, things as normal as possible afterwards. Uh, and that's going to include, you know, buying cars physically from dealers and being able to go in and test drive and negotiate face to face. You know, I, I do believe there, there will be innovations. There's no doubt. Every downturn, great companies are built and very innovative solutions. Um, do I believe that fundamentally the consumer is going to change the way that they shop and buy? Uh, cars. I, I don't believe that's the case at all. I think that, you know, as quickly as consumers can, they'll get back to doing things the old way. Uh, and, and that includes car shopping. That includes going into Best Buy and buying electronics. That includes, <laughs> um, you know, getting out, getting out to restaurants. I think that we probably will see a lot of pent up demand. Uh, for those that aren't unemployed, they're going to be saving a lot of money because they're not out, you know, going to movie theaters and, you know, buying a lot of things right now because of all the uncertainty. So I, I am hopeful that the economy will come back pretty aggressively afterwards. But the problem is we don't know how bad things are going to get in the interim and, um, you know, the extent of that and the length of that. But, um, you know, I, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of change, you know, uh, you know, 18 months, two years from now, as we look back at this, hopefully as a distant memory that was painful um, to car shopping. But I'd be willing to bet there'll be some interesting innovations that come out of this, new companies that are formed. They're just taking a different approach entirely at, you know, car shopping and car buying. Most definitely. And thanks again, Steve, for taking time to get on the Used Car Dealer podcast today. You really have your fingers on the pulse of what's going on in the industry. And it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Zach, it's always great joining you. I look forward to talking to you soon.